This evening, um, I'd like to uh, pick up some threads from Jaya's lovely, helpful talk last evening uh, and offer a few further reflections on the theme of insight, which is uh, a topic I've spoken about here before and you often hear for obvious reasons teachers speak about here though I was remembering this afternoon Sharon Salzberg's story about in the early years here receiving a letter uh, addressed to the Hindsight Meditation Society (laughs) which is obviously something a bit different But there's a reason why this place has the word insight in its name and and why we do reflect on it a lot because really it's the development of insight that is the central journey of this path and this practice. it's, It's coming to understand and see our experience more clearly and reflect on it in the light of the Buddha's teachings and practice in according, in accordance with that. That's what gradually unbinds and frees up the heart, the, the body-mind heart. And so this word insight, panya, panya in the Pali, nya means means knowing. It's a word that occurs a lot. In, in the suttas, knowing. And pa means thoroughly, or that's one of its meanings, a kind of emphatic. Can you hear okay, by the way? Yeah. Um, so kind of thoroughly knowing. And if we just kind of reflect on that for a moment, sense what that means, you know, what is it thoroughly to know something? So not just intellectually, no, or just academically no, but to know in a more embodied way, you know, a way that really makes a difference in our experience. Um, what kind of difference? Well, uh, in this context, you know, a difference that reduces, decreases. Dukkha, that decreases dissatisfaction by reducing the clinging and the the craving and the clinging that give rise to it. Do you remember the sense of the kind of algorithm, yeah, that basically says, and this is the the kind of central hypothesis here, that says that the distress and dissatisfaction, we experience them in proportion to the amount of craving and clinging we're, we're experiencing in any moment, yeah? And that we kind of go up and down that spectrum through our days, don't we? Yeah. Uh, and that, that, in this sense, insight, we could say, is any understanding, any seeing that decreases craving and clinging and therefore dukkha to any degree. That brings, if you like, a letting go a letting go, which is the, the kind of gesture of release and the, and the kind of quietening of dukkha, right? You know? And, and any, any understanding in any way, it could be something very simple, like you know, we really kind of get a sense of it doesn't help just to repeat stories of blame. You know? it just, it's kind of opting for suffering. Or, or little insights that people have had, you know, when I smile, I just feel a bit happier. You know, there's an insight there that actually there's a bit of a release there. Or people noticing that just by having a kind attitude as we go through our days here, or practicing that, there's more sense of connection and a kind of ease in the heart, you know. So it can be from these very accessible levels, if you like, also to the most profound levels, you know, the, the insights, the seeing clearly that really kind of shifts something very fundamental in, in our seeing and that we experience a release in the heart, in the mind and in the body. So a kind of embodied knowing, we could say. And 
insight, we, we could think of it in different domains and in different ways. We, we could perhaps think in terms of personal insights and more universal insights. This is a distinction that's often made. The personal. So those patterns and habits and strategies and shapes that although we may have them in common with some other people, they're, they're, they're not universal. They're distinctive. They're the result of our particular historic you know, experiences, accumulated experiences, right? And, and this is the domain of, of kind of personal sankharas, to pick up that word that we've used a few times and that Jaya described so clearly last night. The word that, that translates as, as formations, fabrications, shapes. You could think of them as activations. Yeah? I like the words formations and fabrications because they, they reflect both the sense that these are formed, these kind of personality or character shapes, they're formed by past experience and they're forming of present experience. Do we sense that? That they're kind of, they're, they're formed and forming. The image and the, and the, uh, the wheel of life is, is of a potter at a wheel, shaping. They shape us, <laughs> you know. And uh, they, they shape, as the Buddha recognized, they shape body and heart, chitta, and mind. Or, or thoughts, speech, yeah. They, so they they are reflective, if you like, of the kind of how we hold the body, the shape that perceptions and beliefs and intentions have in the heart, and the the, the kind of stream of thinking that we experience. You know? And important to recognise that you know these are. These are kind of, they arise relationally, bless you. They, they arise relationally, don't they? They, they arise uh, in response, in reaction to our experience right from in the womb and maybe before, you know, right through infancy and our, you know, our accumulated experiences over uh, our life. We're shaped, aren't we? We're shaped by how we are met by, held by, impinged by, let down by environments, people, situations, right? And, and it's inevitable, <laughs> you know, this is inevitable that, that we will have ways in which we're met and in ways in which we're not met, ways in which we're supported, ways in which we're hurt, you know. And these shape the sankharas, these shape the body, heart, and thought streams, don't they? Yeah, these experiences. And important to recognize, as, as some of you have been speaking about in interviews and groups, that, that there's something here to, to really respect about the intelligence of these strategies, you know, which at some historic time were often uh, the, the most intelligent response of which we were capable in that situation. So even a habit that feels self-sabotaging, like self-judgment, you know, or, or the kind of self-attack, self-rejection, that there may have been a time when that was protective or was trying to be protective, was, was somehow made sense in the situation. So although, you know, these patterns, we can feel like, oh, I, I am just so ready to be without that, <laughs> you know, pattern in the, in the way that Jaya described last night. I'm so ready to be without that. We, you know, just to get averse to it and to try to kind of, and to hate it as a pattern may be part of what keeps it in being. And sometimes our patterns need to be thanked before they're willing to quieten down. You know, thank you for trying to keep me safe. You know, thank you for protecting me from 
overexposing, you know, my vulnerability in some way, you know. Um, and, you know, these arise on retreat, don't they? These patterns. Something about the, the cultivation of this embodied awareness, this, this quality of mindful presence, holding the body in mindful presence, and, crucially, bringing a sense of kindness, bringing a sense of compassion. Even if it's a, a kind of ambient kindness here, you know, that we feel. And the ambient sense of relative safety that's here, you know. This seeps in, doesn't it, to our kind of nervous system and heart uh, uh, in a way that can allow these patterns often to begin to decompress into awareness, decompress into consciousness, you know. And so we can have that experience and we say, wow, I've realized that I've been kind of believing that about myself since I can't remember when, you know. Or we notice that the way we hold our body feels like, oh, I, I kind of had never realized that I, I kind of held myself like that, or that I was always primed for kind of, you know, reaction, threat in a certain way. Or the stories that we find that we've kind of told as a way of trying to make sense of our life's experience, you know. Our triumphs, our, our, our tragedies, our, our longings, our past experiences. Sometimes we've told those stories in order to feel safer or in order to have some sense of meaning in what felt meaningless in a certain way, you know, or inexplicable in a certain way. And, and don't these kind of come up in, it's almost like a kind of, the water table goes, comes down and these things kind of reveal themselves as shapings in the body and the heart on retreat, you know. And we make these, these discoveries and these, these are insights. These are a kind of new knowing that, that can arise in a very... Um, well, it's very touching to hear about and you know, these, the groups are often very touching, aren't we? And we, we sense just the, the kind of precious vulnerability of us as humans and the, the vulnerability of us as humans and the preciousness of conditions like this where we can begin to feel safe enough to see these patterns, these sankharas more, more clearly, you know. And... Uh, so uh, helpful to kind of reflect on on as we do this what what helps what helps what helps the the knowing of these to become liberating in a certain way and and yes let's say it again that that kindness and compassion are indispensable in this you know, if we don't feel those, our, our nervous systems, the tissue of the body and the heart just won't release because it doesn't feel safe enough, you know. This, this phrase, you know, craving and clinging, I love the way Jaya really gave the sense of it's The clinging, it's a kind of systemic contraction, isn't it? The body contracts around its reactivity, its protective reactivity. That's why we go up tight, you know, as a contraction to keep safe, you know. And the heart does the same. And that in this, in this kindness, when we're practicing metta, when we're in a field where there's a lot of accumulated metta here, you know, there's, there can be this, this releasing, this coming back into gravity almost of parts of our body, parts of our kind of heart, you know. And 
helpful, as we've been saying, really also to find grounds of safety that are outside the patterns. It's, it's hard fully to let go. Well, this is something just to kind of see whether, whether you agree. It's hard fully to let go from within a pattern. It's, it's often really helpful to have a sense of, well, okay, where is not caught up in this? You know? And that's the point about, the, you know, the feet, soles of the feet are not angry. You know, sit bones are not judging you, you know. The bird song is not, you know, frightened, you know. Uh, just to have that sense, can I find these grounds? Because these, as, as Akinchino was saying this morning, these chitta states can feel so global when we're in the pattern. And actually to find where is not in the pattern, can I lean into that? Can I lean into those kind of steadying grounds that are not charged with the... Uh, the activation you know, and can provide a place from which to relate to the pattern rather than being in the pattern trying to relate from it. <laughs> that, does that make sense? You know? So I find enough ground in the feet and the seat, the weight of the legs, the earth element in the lower half of the body and I spend you know, three days really kind of building that sense of stability and lo and behold something decompresses in the heart or decompresses in the chest and there's some kind of release or letting go or I feel at ease come in you know so really you know this this is this is a you know is it is it 80% of the practice maybe you know this is this is really significant part of the practice establishing safe ground for the attention in places that really feel okay <laughs> you know really feel okay and that support what the buddha called the stilling of the sankharas the stilling the gradual stilling of the sankharas, the slowing them down. Some of you have been noticing how to slow down our patterns, you know, our patterns around food, our patterns around safety behaviors, our patterns around busyness, you know, just to slow them down, to feel the feet, to take a breath, (laughs) you know, Uh, to know where the breaks are. Babette Rothschild, who write, some of you will know her book, The Body Remembers. The body remembers. There's a book about Sankaras. The body remembers. She says, she makes the point, you know, when you're learning to drive, really helpful to get confident with using the brake before you play with the accelerator, you know? <laughs> and yet we can have this addiction to going to the accelerator, can't we? And we, we kind of speed up around our patterns, you know? And we can even speed up around a sense of, I, I've got to get rid of this. But the Buddha spoke in his, in his sutta on, kind of as he puts it, removing distracting patterns, of slowing patterns down, really leaning into the break. That sense, as Babette puts it, if you want to let pressure out of a pressure cooker, you do it one pfft at a time. <laughs> yeah? If we try to pull the lid off in a certain way, that's actually not helpful. You know? What we now know about catharsis points, you know, the psychology says it's actually not helpful. One at a time of the grief or the anger or the fear, you know, or the joy even, you know, just to let our systems gradually re-regulate. You know, what you know where the brake is, it's probably the ground. This will be the accelerator and this kind of moving between them in a way that allows this gradual decompression. This is, this is helpful. This can be helpful, can't it? You know? And much of the unbinding of the heart has this kind of nature to it. You know? It's why we give so much emphasis and encouragement to appreciate that which resources and, and supports a gradual decompressing. 
a gradual decompressing. So the, 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 the practice with uh, these personal patterns, such a you know, tender and genuinely freeing possibility, isn't it, on this path? You know, it really can make a great deal of difference. A week on retreat can make a great deal of difference you know, around these kinds of patterns. Because they... You know, we see, oh, this is who I've taken myself to be at some level. You know. And this is, this is work of insight. This is practice with insight. You know. And there's a way in which insights kind of land us on a fence where we, we've seen something, yeah? And uh, I'll probably we'll say this again at the end of the retreat. And there's this, oh, okay, I'm seeing something here. And I could move into a new way of being, but we all know also how strong the pull can be back, you know? And, and this kind of really highlights something about the nature of insight, that seeing once is rarely enough, you know? We have this kind of, mythology of the Buddha or of awakening that has this sense of, you know, you're certain you have the light bulb moment and that's it. This is rarely how it happens, you know. As Jaya said last night, it's much more a gradual metabolizing of things we're seeing. And in a certain way, it's about practicing ways of looking, practicing what we've understood, you know, what we may have glimpsed. Can I practice and practice acting in the light of that? You know? And this is true in the personal domain. And it's also very much true in the more universal domain. You know? the, the, the domain of universal insight is really the, the, the domain that the Buddha, the Buddha teaches mostly about. This is the domain of dharma which, you know, one, one way of translating that word might be kind of the natural way of things, the way things work, kind of universally. And the whole of the Buddha's teachings, in a certain way, are, 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 are universal insights that we can practice, you know, that we are practicing. And, as as you know, was highlighted in Jaya's talk and will be familiar to you, there, there are some particular insights that the Buddha highlights as having particular potency for their liberating potential for the heart. You know. And these are the, the insights into impermanence, into unsatisfactoriness, and into not-self, which... We could include the insights into emptiness and the insights into not-self. And these are sometimes called the three characteristics, but we could think about them as the three liberating ways of looking, three avenues of insight, three ways in which we can practice insight that, that can gradually unbind the heart. And because we do tend to have this sense of insights mostly as fruits, you know, and that's the kind of derived from this light bulb model of awakening, where we say, well, if I just sit and walk enough, insights will pop up, you know, and they do, and they do, you know. The, the very nature of mindfulness practice is that it, releases it, it unbinds experience. And so like kind of air bubbles underwater, insights pop up to the surface, you know. And, you know, the Buddha really encouraged taking those fruits as ways of looking, as anupasi, which means to see, pasi to means to see with ways of seeing with a particular perception. Does that make sense? Practicing particular perceptions. 
It's what we're doing in the meta practice, isn't it? We're practicing a, a, a liberating perception. May you be safe and well. May you be peaceful. Could practice other perceptions that would be less helpful, but that's a helpful one, you know. And I guess this is the kind of uh, nub of, of what I'd want to convey this evening, because you know I personally found this so helpful to see that we don't just have to sit around and wait for insights. <laughs> we can choose them as lenses and deliberately cultivate them. Yeah. Deliberately cultivate them. And so if we take the, the insight into impermanence, you know, yes, the sitting and walking and the practice will, will, will highlight that. But the Buddha really invited a combination of reflecting and then this anupasi, which we could say as contemplating. So, you know, really to take time to reflect on the theme of impermanence, you know. And the evening is a good time for that. Because we can say, well, where's, where's the mood and mental state that I woke up with this morning? You know? Where, where are yesterday's thought patterns? Where, where are Monday's body sensations? Just to reflect on this day and reflect, well, how many different sea-like moods and mental states have passed through? <laughs> you know? How many different perceptions have passed through? How many moments of kind of expansion and contraction have we experienced? You know? And really to kind of keep gazing at that, really to be interested in that. Really to uh, notice how, as Kinchino said, you know, this morning, when we're in the midst of a low mood particularly, we think it's always going to be like this. I'm never going to smile again, you know. Uh, oh, I see a chipmunk, you know. <laughs> I, I go to, I go to the, the mindful movement period, you know. It's my favorite IMS dish for lunch, you know. Somebody smiles and opens a door in a moment. It changes, you know. And this, this repeated encouragement, the Sadipatana Sutta, to, to notice, to contemplate the, the arising and passing and the nature of arising and passing, to keep metabolizing the understanding of how radically things change. In a sense, how radically unstable experience is. You know? And of course, you know, th- there's, there's a heart aspect to this. To, to acknowledge what happens in the heart, you know, around this. Often when we, we contemplate this, we can notice, oh, actually there's a lightening that happens when I see that things are changing so quickly, you know. And, and what, what in the midst of it seems so heavy after the, you know, when the weather system has passed can feel very different, you know. And of course, there can be you know, sorrow, or there can be poignancy. So many Japanese Zen haikus on the kind of poignancy of transience and impermanence. And something about the insight into impermanence does involve being willing to feel it in the chitta, you know, feel what that, what arises with that. So that we really kind of acknowledge, uh, yeah, acknowledge the truth and the implications of impermanence in a way that can inform our present moment experience. And this is where, you know, so helpful to say, you know, dedicate a walking period. You know, say, okay, this is going to be all about being interested in change. That's going to be the main theme. More than the soles of the feet, what I'm really interested in is that everything is changing. Does that make sense? You put it on as a lens, put it on as a perception. It'll keep slipping off and you put it back on. Oh, the fact it slipped off, that's an, a, an example of change. You know? 
Because intentions don't last, you know. Intentions are changing. They need practicing. So everything becomes grist to that insight mill, if you like, yeah? And can inform then, in the midst of, we've been doing citta anupassana today, haven't we? That, that reflection on moods and mental states, so that in the presence of a, you know, in the midst of an unpleasant mood, ah, it's unpleasant, and I know it will change. Ooh, and I can feel it changing, you know? Pleasant mood or experience, see it changing, you know? To, to keep... You know, the this too will pass, you know, or, or that, that suggestion, hmm, I wonder how long this will last, you know, that's a particularly helpful one when one's in the midst of difficult experience, hmm, I wonder how long this will last, you know. But to, to use the template that Jaya gave us last night of the khandas as well around us, so we have a sense of, okay, body, changing, changing, Vedana, Flickering, bubbling, changing, perceptions changing, mental patterns and forms arising and passing, even consciousness itself, it, you know, seen through the understanding of it as an activity rather than as an entity, you know, changing. Why? Because that serves the releasing of the, the craving and clinging that chases the pleasant, wants to push away the unpleasant. As the Buddha summarized it so concisely, seeing impermanence, the mind doesn't cling. When it doesn't cling, it isn't agitated. When it isn't agitated, it personally attains nibbana. It's a pretty quick uh, <laughs> summary. But we see what he m- means, yeah? That it is nibbana-ing to see the radical impermanence and instability of experience. Yeah. And part of what we see in that is, is that actually you know, no experience can lastingly satisfy we, we see the, 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 the kind of inability of experiences that are contingent and dependent and changing permanently to satisfy. You know? And this is the second of these, these insights, you know, the, the, which is this word dukkha in the, scene, in the perspective of unable fully to satisfy. Yeah? Pleasant, you know, pleasant but can't lastingly satisfy, you know. So that I, it, it encourages the not investing in getting and getting rid of, that keeps us bound, that keeps us enslaved to the, the, the kind of um, biological drives represented by those three animals that Jaya mentioned last night that turn the wheel, you know. And we can turn that recognition again into a way of looking. I find the phrase, I could, but I don't need to. You know, I could, dot, 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 but I don't need to. Do you get that, that one? I could get angry about this, but you know what? I don't need to, you know. I could go for the second helping. You know, speaking personally, uh, but I don't need to. You know, so that's turning it into a lens, turning it into a perception. You know, it's it's the taste. It, it's it's not out of aversion. It's not out of a kind of puritanism, but actually in the service of a larger freedom. Yeah, it's it's not. I shouldn't want it. I'm bad for having the, the want, you know. It would be wrong to have it. It's actually, can I develop the freedom to choose genuinely? You know, embody the freedom to choose here. You know. And as was kind of reflecting yesterday around the, the Vedana, you know, 
the body can really help with that because with the craving and the clinging, there is this somatic tightening. And just to have a sense of, okay, okay, shake up a bit. Relax, find the ground again, release. Ooh, the craving's less. Well, that's interesting. You know? The sense that the releasing the body or expanding the mental space will tend to quieten the Vedana, you know, and make us less uptight, trying to get and get rid of, you know. And this, this second way of looking is also the wisdom of the allowing and letting be, you know. The sense of a kind of, can I practice 100% allowing Vedana to be arising and passing, you know. I don't like them, but I'm going to practice 100% allowing, 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 you know. Because then we have the chance really to have the insight that it's in the craving and clinging that the suffering lies. And that's the algorithm. That's the kind of teaching that we need to panya, that we need to thoroughly know, you know. And that as we see that, more and more clearly, we, we start to kind of get it. Ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, the kind of allowing quietens the dissatisfaction, you know. Which, of course, doesn't mean we don't take action or step in or say no or take compassionate intervention. It's not a recipe for quietism. It's not a recipe for passivity, you know. It's, can I also know and embody the capacity not to have to react but to therefore have the freedom to respond yeah to choose a response does does that make sense because that's so key here this is not about passivity but it's saying can i learn how not to have to react so i can choose to respond and that is also served by really uh understanding Standing, really getting the sense of this, the way in which self or selfing is part of this craving and clinging spectrum. At least, here's, it's a hypothesis here. You don't have to believe this, but it's just an experience something to play with, experiment. That actually, that, that, that the, the intensification of reactivity to Vedana, pleasant and unpleasant, that leads to craving and clinging, the sense, the felt sense of self arises. This is what the Buddha suggests in the Wheel of Dependent Arising, that the Vedana conditions craving, craving conditions clinging, clinging conditions becoming, becoming conditions taking birth as that person who doesn't want or who has to have, you know. And that just as we can see that there's this kind of movement during the day up and down the spectrum of craving, clinging and dukkha, yeah, the degree of reactivity in any moment will de- determine whether I'm moving up and it's all getting more intense and the dukkha is getting more intense or whether there's a subsiding, right? You know, this is one way of describing a day, isn't it? <laughs> Just the kind of movements up and down happening every moment. And we can see that, that, that selfing, the felt sense of selfing, is part of what's intensifying when the reactivity is intensifying. So when I'm having a tantrum, you know, when I'm really, you know, angry and furious or really lonely or really full of shame or really, you know, strongly wanting it for me, you know, the sense of self is very strong, you know, because the craving and clinging are very strong. A few other things that are strong, often in those moments, the sense of other is very strong. Everybody else is getting it and I'm not, you know. Everybody else is sitting around getting enlightened and I'm still trying to find a breath, you know. Or, you know, everybody thinks I'm like that, you know. Or I'm better than everybody else, you know. All the different ways in which selfing and othering co-arise. 
you know, just check. Do we ever have selfing without othering at some level? And isn't the intensification of selfing, although it may have that kind of the, the, the pleasant familiarity that Jaya has spoken about, isn't it also laced through with suffering? You know, because there's a sense of separateness there. There's also often a sense of urgency in that because we start to see, oh, well, time is another of these dependent co-arisings that, that, that you know, so on those, t- those moments in retreat where it's just feeling like it's going on forever, I've got it's three more days, you know, I can't bear it, you know. And just notice that the kind of perception of time is integrally bound up with the perception of self and world and contraction and not wanting and, Yeah. So these are kind of factors that all co-arise and all co-diminish, you know, in the chipmunk moment or in the, 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 the stretching and moving the body in, with, with Timo and the mindful yoga or in the moment of kindness. Don't all these factors that kind of souffled up, don't they kind of do what souffles sometimes do, which is kind of collapse, yeah? And the... We're just, this is how the day goes, you know? This is how the day goes. They are mutually dependent co-arisings, leaning on each other. At least, you know, try that out. See if that's the case. So that rather than, you know, and the Buddha found it more accurate in this way to describe our experience in terms of these processes than in terms of selves. And we can metabolize the, this way of looking through the practice of perceiving things in terms of not-self. Jaya, Jaya quoted the Buddha's statement, you know, you should practice seeing all things as they are with proper wisdom thus. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. This is not myself. It's a rather long sentence to, to, to use. And we could abbreviate it just to the phrase, not me, not mine. So what is it, as you're sitting here right now, just feeling the body, just to let these sensations be there and just to play with the perception, no, not me, not mine. Body is body, not me, not mine, just body, body Let the mood or mental state of this moment that's here, ah, not me, not mine, just mental state. Of course, I could identify, I could say that is me, that's who I really am, I'm always depressive, you know. But there's a kind of volunteering for suffering in that identification. You know, it's turning the dial towards intensifying dukkha. What is it to turn it the other way? Not me, not mine, just weather, you know. Those thoughts, not me, not mine, just thoughts. Joseph Joseph, uh, Goldstein sometimes says, if we haven't seen the selfless nature of thoughts, we're tormented by them. When we do see this, they become like a wisp of air. There's not much there, you know. Not me, not mine, just thoughts. These, these habit patterns we were speaking about earlier that we can take so personally, you know, we can feel ashamed about, we can be self-blaming about. Not me, not mine, just habits, just sankharas. Intentions, impulses, not me, not mine, just intentions arising. The thought, not me, not mine. Oh, that's not me, not mine. Let's <laughs> try it out. You know? Selfing, patterns of selfing. What if we say, oh, selfing is also not me, not mine. It's just selfing. It's selfing, selfing. Like judging judges. <laughs> there doesn't have to be a judge in there. Thoughts think. Body bodies, you know. Not me, not mine. 
Awareness itself. As Jaya was saying, what is it to, to practice relaxing any identification with that? Does that intensify the dukkha or does it bring a, a taste of freedom? You know? You know, not as an ideology, not as an aversion to the self. It's not that we're trying to kind of get rid of the self where, wherever it shows up. A friend of mine compares this to trying to, f- like trying to fit a carpet that's a bit too big for a room. And a kind of runkle comes up. You push it down there. It comes up over there. You push it down. It comes up over there. You know. Uh, and so we can. I've got to get rid of all this selfing that's going on. Actually, to see all of that is also not self. Can I practice seeing that as not self? There's nothing I have to get rid of here. What we're talking about is not annihilating self. Please, self. You know, needs to be honoured. As I was saying in the first part of the talk, respected, known. But just to see its, its emptiness, its, its constructed, fabricated nature that means that it's not solid in the way that we tend to project onto it that it is. So, you know, this path that really about honouring respecting, getting to know, befriending, understanding the personal patterns, you know, the sankharas of the body, the heart, the mind, that, that feel so personal because they've, they were shaped often in such tender, kind of painful, poignant uh, relationships, situations experiences so really to bring them you know bring a lot of kindness and compassion this is not about kind of spiritually bypassing by using universal insights to kind of blanch or compress our personhood it really matters as as jaya says you know needs to be taken care of and can we know the, the deepening liberation that comes from seeing and kind of knowing in our bones, knowing in our bones, the, the impermanent, not-self, unable to satisfy nature, especially of the, the body sensations and the thoughts and the fears, the anxieties, the moods that trouble us. Can we, can we practice being able to not take them so personally? Not me, not mine, just nature. Just nature. Nothing to get rid of. Just to understand. Just to see clearly. Just to pa nya. To, to thoroughly know. The, the most profound awakenings, you know, come from really knowing, coming to know more and more in our, in our bones this inherently empty or insubstantial nature of all things. We, we sense that the the appearance of solidity, the appearance of sub, substantiality that that keeps me reacting, keeps me bound, is actually a projection of the mind it's it's a perception it's a belief, and that there's a, a beautiful freedom in this this mirage like nature of experience that Jaya spoke about. And to see perception, to see experience as, as can I know it, as well as being able to be right there in the midst of it, you know, playfully, lovingly, being a self as a parent, as a lover, as a therapist, as a, you know, dancer, as an artist, you know, as a friend, <laughs> you know, being able to be a self, <laughs> can I also know have the versatility of ways of looking, 
to, to also know the mirage-like nature that is so freeing, you know. As the Buddha encourages, or at least the, the sutta, the diamond sutta encourages, it says, all conditioned dharmas, that's all things, are like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, dewdrops, and a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus. Contemplate them thus in the service of our deepest freedom. So let's just take a few moments of breath together. Thank you for your attention. So time for some walking uh, before our, our final sitting and chanting for the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.